Jesus came to establish a kingdom that is nothing like the kingdom of this world. It's established on grace, forgiveness, and peace. Many times we look up to men who build kingdoms on violence. So I'm half Italian and half Irish. So the Italian half of me looks up to guys like Tony Soprano and looks up to a mafiosa and guys who make statements and control things by saying things like, I'm going to make an offer to you that you can't refuse. Now, why can't you refuse this offer? Because you might end up with a horse head at the bottom of your bed if you refuse the offer. Or maybe your head at the bottom of the bed. These men control people through violence, through intimidation, through fighting. And Jesus is totally different. So once again, Jesus is going to confront the mighty Italians of Rome today who had conquered the world through violence, through taking over peoples and tribes and nations. They were the greatest world power at the time and one of the greatest in history. And this carpenter, this homeless savior is brought before Pilate. He's brought before mighty Rome. And the charge against him is that he's claiming to be a king that threatens the rule of Caesar. This is the card that the Sanhedrin or the Jewish leaders are playing. They're saying he is rivaling or threatening the rule of Caesar and he's going to create an uprising. So we get to see one, the mighty world power of the time of Rome. And even you can call the USA the modern day Rome because we're the world power. And there's been in Egypt and many world powers throughout history. But Jesus coming face to face with Rome today. I remember when I was younger, um, I, we lived in East Boston for a short period, <coughs> excuse me, of our life. So I went to kindergarten in East Boston. I walked to school by myself. My attire was, this is a true story, I have a pictures to document this. I'd wear a scally cap, and I'd actually wear, you know that jean vest with no sleeves? I wouldn't put a shirt on underneath. And I was not ashamed. This really happened. It was very... It was mostly an Italian neighborhood at that time in East Boston in the early um, 80s. So what happened was the Italians were the immigrants of the time, where there was a lot of Italian and Irish coming in, a lot of Italian moved to East Boston. But what happened is a lot of Spanish population started moving to East Boston too. And in a very sinful manner, the Italians began to have be frustrated that Spanish people were moving into the neighborhood. So there was all this kind of sinful friction between these two groups. They didn't want them to take over their block. The Italians said, this is our block. And there were some Spanish people moving in. So there was like this sinful racial division going on. What happened was there was a Spanish family that lived right next to us that he'd steal some of the Italian kids' toys. And he thought he had this clever idea to strip the labels off. And to clean it off, and somehow you knew it wasn't your plane. He thought just if he took the lightning bolt and the little tag on the front, and he took that away, and he'd be playing out front with your plane, like, I got a new plane. And he'd be like, this dude's stealing my toys. You understand how this can cause division, right? All of a sudden, me and a few of my Italian buddies, and 
this Spanish boy and a few of his buddies were out front. And finally, someone was fed up and said to him, that's my plane, bro. Give me my plane back. And you know, I have no racial discrimination. My stepfather's Puerto Rican. So it just so happened that the Spanish kid was stealing the toys. This is all for story's sake. The Italian dude said, you're stealing my plane. He said, I ain't stealing your plane. Then all of a sudden, the dad came down and was like, my son ain't stealing your plane. Then out of nowhere, I'm telling you guys, it really went down like this. Like a Monte Carlo pulls around the corner, skids out on the street with this Italian dude in his 40s, late 40s, 50s. And all of a sudden, he's trying to grab a gun. It escalated this bad from kids with toys, people fighting on the block, dads and moms are out front, Italian and Spanish, yelling at each other. And this mafioso brother pulls out around the corner and is trying to get his gun out of the glove compartment. And the Spanish father runs over and is holding the door shut so he can't get out of the car. And I'm six years old, five years old, and I'm very sensitive, but I'm trying to act tougher than I am. And I'm saying, oh my goodness, how did this escalate to the point there's going to be a gun drawn out for a toy plane robbery? And I said all this to say it was two cultures waging war against each other. It was of this world. There was fighting. There was, as it's always been since sin enters the world, we're fighting with each other. We're trying to conquer each other. We're trying to take over blocks. We're trying to take over towns, nations, cities, the world. There's this power struggle going on. And I walked in. My Aunt Patty was there. My mom was there. And I cried. I cried because I was oversensitive. I did it inside so no one saw. And I cried. And I said, I hate that the world is like this. I hate that the kingdomless world is about fighting and conquering and violence and race against race and people against people and nation against nation. I didn't do the nation to nation thing when I was five, but I was feeling all those things that would form into those things. And I wept. And those feelings haven't changed. I'm sure you feel the brokenness of saying, why are we all fighting against each other? Why is the kingdom of the world such a power struggle of dominance and fighting and conquering each other? Jesus came in, here's the good news, to usher in a kingdom that is nothing like that. Where we as a people should not be fighting each other. We should not be seeking to conquer each other. We should not be violent to each other. He ushered in a totally different kingdom where he is the king and he's setting the example on the cross of saying, I didn't come to conquer through violence. I came to submit myself to the violence of others so that we, so that everyone who would believe could be reconciled to the almighty God with grace, peace, and forgiveness. This is what the kingdom of God is about today. So as we get into the text today, I want you to hear that our behavior, that our life, that our kingdom, that our king is totally different than that of this world. And allow the gospel of grace to penetrate your soul so that we respond by being peaceful and forgiven and forgiving one another and being gracious to one another. Amen? I usually don't give the amen that early, but felt like a decent intro. Let's turn to John 18. We're going to do verses 33 through 40. I'm proud of you guys. We've done one book of the Bible the whole year. 
And I haven't heard a complaint. If you complained at home, I forgive you. But I haven't heard a complaint that was still in the same book of the Bible. So let's start with verse 33. It said, So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate is the one who has the authority right here to execute judgment on Jesus. He's a powerful man, but not the most powerful man in Rome. He has roughly 3,000 soldiers that he can send at any time under his command. So that's some power. Well, I've done a few powerful coughs today. Excuse me. But he's a powerful man from the most powerful kingdom on earth. The Sanhedrin had just come to him and had just accused Jesus of rivaling Caesar. So his duty is to protect the throne, is to protect the power of Rome. And when he's coming to Jesus, I want you guys to hear, he's asking almost in an unbelieving way, are you the king of the Jews? See, the way he viewed a king was much different than the way Jesus lived and looked. Now, the emperor was the most powerful man. Caesar, Tiberius at the time, was the most powerful man in the world. And when you saw the king, saw the emperor, saw Caesar, you knew he was Caesar. He had three types of clothing that really distinguished him. It was the toga. Now, his toga was much different. He had a purple toga. No one else was allowed to wear a purple toga. A full purple toga. You can drop in a little purple, but you can have the full purple toga. And you know what it took to dye a toga of his size? A thousand crushed Mediterranean shells just to make that one toga. Mediterranean murex, they would call it. The Phoenicians had a chokehold on the industry. So valuable, cost so much money just to make that one piece of clothing. So when you saw that toga fully covering, you said, that's a king. Then you had a tunic. That's what we see in Gladiator and stuff with the movies we watch. The gold embroidery and kind of that foliage look on their tunic that set them apart. Then you had the cloak. That was other expensive dyes, blue and red and purple, so that when you saw that king, it was big in Roman culture that you knew someone's title, someone's role, when you saw them outwardly and publicly. Right away, they want you to know, I'm emperor, or I'm pilot, or I'm a general, or I'm a captain. That's big in the worldly system to have a role. You call me this, you know who I am, you respect me. And we see that creep into the church sometimes, don't we? We see people wanting the title, like a big badge over here, and you're referring to them a certain way. That, that kingdom of the world creeps into um, our church sometimes. But in Rome, it was very prevalent, and they wanted you to know publicly what they look like. So he's walking in, and he's looking at Jesus. He's slapped around. He's beat up. He's homeless. He's a carpenter by trade. He's not. He doesn't look like a king. And he looks at him, and he says, in a credulous way, are you the king? In an unbelieving way. Are you the king? This can't be real. They said this guy was a threat. You're dragging in this dude who looks like a peasant and you're telling me he's a threat to Caesar? The way Jesus answers this question is going to determine his destiny. Because to say you are a king is to say you're threatening Caesar and you're resisting the rule of Rome. So this is no small answer he's asking him. It comes with capital punishment if he says that he is a king. 
Let's move on to verse 34 and 35. It said, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say that to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So hear that tone with Pilate once again. Because you'll see, see Pilate's soul struggling for the next few texts, saying, I don't even find this guy guilty. Why are they charging him? How can he be a threat to the kingdom? What's going on? And you have this guy, and we'll get to in later verses, that really asks, he's been asking himself the question we all ask ourselves. What is truth? What is truth? And Jesus answers, and he's getting to the, the motive of Pilate, and he's going deeper, and he's saying, why do you ask me this, Pilate? Is it because you really want to know, or is it because I'm being accused by others? And Pilate responds by saying, basically, I'm not a Jew. I don't know your customs. I haven't been following you fully. I might have heard of you. But you're being charged with something, basically. He's not asking on his own accord. The Sanhedrin is trying to play a card to kill Jesus. Verse 36. And Jesus answered, after Pilate says, what have you done? And this is big. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Do you see what he does right away? He claims to be a king. If you say you've got a kingdom, you're a king. So he doesn't deny it or cow it away from it to get away from it so he doesn't receive the crucifixion or he's not committed to torment. He says, I am a king of a kingdom, but it's nothing like the kingdom you know, Pilate. Now, I was doing a little studying on the Roman Empire, just because I started. Then I started reading through these Caesars and stuff. And this is some of the most corrupt, craziest, sinful, kingdom of this world stuff you'll ever read when you read about the Roman Empire. I'm going through the list of Roman empires, Roman empress. In a large percentage of them, it tells you how long they reigned and how they died. Many of them, it says, the guy who wanted his spot killed him. Assassinated by his wife. The council didn't agree with him. They killed him. Poisoned in the courtyard. And I said, this can't be real. Over and over again, you've seen the fighting, the violence, and people striving for power and killing and fighting and conquering each other. This is the kingdom that um, Pilate knew. Now, there's many corrupt people from Augustus all the way to Caligula. But let me talk about Caligula, who came right after Tiberius, and it was after, but he was in the, the template of many. He might have been the craziest, but he was in the template of many of these emperors who had total power, did whatever they wanted to, had no value for human life, like just no value for image bearers of God. Caligula was twisted in so many ways. But let's talk about the violent way. In one point, because he was bored, okay, they were in the arena, arena, there was wild animals, they're sending Christians, whoever, out to be eaten by him. He's bored. He says a large population of his own people says, I'm bored, throw them in too. Just throw his own people, no regard for life, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want to do, and throws a large portion of the audience 
into the crowd and they're eaten by animals, his own people. These are the kind of kings that Rome had. We have a totally different kind of king. These are sinful, power-hungry men. Jesus is sinless and laying his life down for us. See, those men were trained to fight. They were trained to kill. They were trained to rule through intimidation and conquering. Jesus trained his men in a totally different way. He set the example on the cross. And what's amazing by the whole thing is at any point, he's God. And he says this in the next text, and we'll get it to it next week, so I don't want to get too into it. He said, if I wanted to, I could call down legions of angels and wipe you all out because I am the most powerful. But I've submitted myself to the violence of this kingdom of this world so that all might be saved who believe. Is that different from the rulers you know even nowadays? You have one rulers who are throwing their people to the lions, using them as body shields, and they have Jesus who's coming down to earth, fully God and fully man, to lay down his life for us. That's your king. Find much comfort in that. His men were trained different. Remember when Peter, he wanted to have a violent kingdom. He grabbed that sword, he's cutting off ears, right? Jesus says, no, Peter. That's not what we are about. And many groups who claim to be Christian operate in a militant way and are absolutely sinful and have missed the total kingdom of God and what Jesus was preaching. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Now, I don't know if I can turn the other cheek. I'm honest with you. I pray that I can. But if someone comes off the top and gives me a nice slap across the face or a closed hander, there's a lot of pride inside this five-foot, eight frame, maybe five, seven, and three quarters. (laughs) There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of worldliness. There's a lot of stuff that I've learned from being a Bostonian all my life that says, don't you dare back down. But Jesus says, you need to back down so they can be saved, so they can see a different kingdom. He says, if someone spits on you, don't spit back on them. Jesus was spit on. And we'll get into the ridicule, and I'm, I'm going ahead because I'm so excited. We're about to get into the, the suffering of our Savior. And why I'm excited about it, because it shows you God's heart. But all his men were trained to die for others by the hand of violence not to be violent men. Now, there were many who wanted Jesus to be a violent king who came, but he said, I'm not going to be that. And I just want to read you a letter from the first or second century when people were describing Christians of a different kingdom. And this this letter has always impacted me. And just please listen to it, because I love at Restoration Road, if our lives were lived in a different way, with grace, peace, and forgiveness, lived as uh, members of the kingdom of God. And people could actually say, they're one of us. But they're acting really different than everyone else. It's called those Christians. For Christians are not different, differentiated from other people by country. And this is written around when Roman was, when Rome was ruling. They do not live in cities of their own, or speak some strange dialect, or have some peculiar lifestyle. This teaching of theirs has not been contrived by the invention and speculation of inquisitive men. Nor are they propagating mere human teaching, as some people do. 
They live in both Greek and foreign cities, wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs and clothing, food, and other aspects of life. But at the same time, they demonstrate to us the wonderful and certainly unusual form of their own citizenship. They live in their own native lands, but as aliens. As citizens, they share all things with others, but like aliens, suffer all things. Every foreign country is to them as their native country, and every native land as a foreign country. They marry and have children just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They are at present in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They are passing their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the appointed laws and go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of things. They are dishonored and yet gain glory through dishonor. Their names are blackened and yet they are cleared. They are mocked and blessed in return. They are treated outrageously and behave respectfully to others. When they do good, they are punished by evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if being given new life. They are attacked by Jews as aliens and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet the, those who hate them cannot give any reason for their hostility. To put it simply, the soul is to the body as Christians are to the world. The soul is to spread through all parts of the body and Christians throughout all cities of the world. The soul is in the body but is not of the body. Christians are in the world but not of this world. That letter always stuck with me. But it, it showed you, even in this time, in this context that we're preaching, that people who didn't agree with them, who were persecuting them, who were killing them, said, their kingdom is not like our kingdom. They are not like us. Let's move on. Verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this person purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So this is the huge question. What is truth? And you know in our Western culture, people want to say there is no truth, which is crazy because that's an absolute. <laughs> and that's saying that the truth is that there is no truth and you're making an absolute statement and it makes no logical sense. So I'm blown away that people even buy into that system. Pilate has the God-man Jesus who has come down from heaven who is the ultimate truth revealer right in front of him. And he makes a statement and says, what is truth? And Jesus said, I came to reveal truth. It's been one of my great comforts of my life and I'm sure of yours that we can look to Jesus, the way he acted, what he revealed and say this is truth. Wouldn't you guys agree that as Christians? And we can live our lives according to revelation, not according to our speculation? Pilate is saying, what is truth? And he has the truth right in front of him. Now let us remind ourselves of the simple truth here. And we don't have to make it more complicated than it is. God created this earth. God is good. God is righteous. There is no sin in him. He created a world that rebelled against him. Us. He could have totally wiped us out and it would have been just and righteous. 
That would have been just and righteous because we're all sinners and the wages of sin. It's death. But instead, the triune God, the second of the person of the Trinity comes down and becomes flesh to die for us. Lays down his life on a cross. Cries out from the cross in the craziest, not kingdom this world way. Father God, forgive the people who are murdering me right now and persecuting and spitting me and mocking me. Forgive them. Dies, taking sin to the grave. Rises again for our justification so that all who believe in him will be made righteous through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And says he's coming again to restore a kingdom of peace that is nothing like this world. That is the gospel. That is the truth. That was what Jesus taught throughout his whole life. That's where you can find safety in. Now, let's get to a little application as we get towards the end of the sermon here. I want to give you three things that are important for you to know that define our kingdom because Jesus defined it this way. And I need you guys to hear this. And I want to lead the way with grace. You have to hear grace right now. Too many times, and I'm guilty of this so much, and I need forgiveness in this area because I, I do the same thing to myself that I do to others. We're so quick to point out other people's sin, and we're so quick to point out how they should be living more holy or how they should be more like Jesus in this way or how they should have changed more by now. And we've missed how much grace has poured out on, how much grace God has poured out on our own life. And on the great, and see the evidence of grace in other people's life. And then we live in condemnation because we're passing out condemnation. So many times we need someone to just say, it's alright. I don't know, I need that. This season of my soul where I say, I've failed so much. I've operated like the kingdom of this world. I've strived for my own glory sometimes. I've strived for my own power. I've wanted to be the Holy Spirit in people's life and not let the Holy Spirit move in people's life. There's times when I feel and I've fallen too far away from God's grace. Have you ever felt like that? That you sin too much. That you just, you can't live up to it. You can't do it. I've fallen short. I thought I would be more sanctified by now. And what you need to hear, it's okay. Hear that from me, from your pastor. It's okay not because of you. It's okay because of what Jesus did. The work is finished. This is a different kind of kingdom. You don't get cast out when you fall short. You cannot go too far out of the Father's hand because His Holy Spirit is with you. There's the reason that the Holy Spirit received himself, revealed Himself as a dove. This bothers some of us because we want a mighty war hawk. We want the Holy Spirit to be a war hawk, right? With a battle armor on His head. He came... In a peaceful way. He came to comfort us. He came to encourage us. You know where you'll win that place where you know it's a lie you believe in your head, but you can't get away from it? That's what the Holy Spirit says. No. You're one of mine. You're a child of God. I love you. It's finished because of Jesus. And that's the beautiful news of the gospel. Please hear that today. Because some of us, we're already in a bad place and someone comes off the top off the top says, you are a sinner, and this and that, and you say, man, I was already far enough away. I didn't need to hear that. I needed to hear the good news of Jesus right now. Can I get an amen on that? Amen.
Secondly, if you're a violent person, God can change you. And now, I'm not talking only about being physically violent. Some of us are emotionally violent people. We manipulate people with our emotions. If we don't get our way, we pull a hissy fit, we manipulate, we distance ourselves. If you want to act like that, and people are scared of us because of a reaction, we're violent emotionally. We verbally abuse people. If they don't agree with us, we're violent. And I want to say to you today, there's forgiveness in Jesus. And there's a more peaceful and loving way to live. And I want to tell you this story about, some of you may know Franny. I went to a biker church for a while, and I loved it in so many ways, and I learned so many good things. But there was this guy, Franny. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six maybe. He's got to be upward towards 200-something pounds. He's a big boy, goatee, tattoos, bullet wounds, knife wounds. Used to walk a cougar around Saugus. And they, they're not making up stories. This is like, these are real stories. He was, I think they call it like the armor bearer for the Salem branch of the Hell's Angels. So he's a violent fellow. You don't get there unless you're willing to do a few things. God miraculously saved him years ago. And God was working on him all those years. And about a year and a half, two years ago, a guy that worked with me went to the church. He's a younger fellow, Jay Dog. Some of you know him, legend. He's a legend also. And um, he told me a story. They went on a trip. Even in Nova Scotia, Canada, they were making a bike run. And they brought this new kid with them that wasn't balanced mentally. And the kid, he wasn't a big guy. But he was rowdy. And Franny's a big guy. They stopped the bikes and this kid just started yelling for no apparent reason. He walked up to Franny and he threw a haymaker and he punched him right in the face. And Franny wasn't expecting it. Now Franny's a big boy. And even though he's closer to 60 now, you can still grab someone by the neck when your hand's bigger than their head. You know what I mean? He didn't respond. Now you're talking to a guy. Believe me, there's been a lot of violence in his past. And maybe one day he can share that with you. He didn't punch him back. He didn't respond. And it kind of, everything stopped because he didn't act like he used to act like the kingdom of this world. And he said to Jay after the matter, he said, Jay, I can't believe I didn't hit that kid back. With a smile on his face, he said, and there's so many years of my life I've asked myself, can I turn the other cheek? And he said, I'm at the point in my life Jesus has worked on my heart so much that I didn't hit him back. And he looked at Jay and, said, and laughed and said, that dude hit like a ball. <laughs> but that's what God can do in our lives. You can look back and say, I used to be violent. I used to rule by intimidation. I used to rule by verbal abuse. But now there's a new king in my life. And I'm part of a new kingdom. And I can be ruled by grace, love, forgiveness, and peace. So in closing, let's rejoice today as we sing these songs that we serve a great sinless king that has showed us a new kingdom. We don't have to live like this world. We can turn the other cheek. We don't have to strive. You don't have to be good enough because Christ was good enough. And when you meditate on grace, you will be transformed and you will be more like Christ. It's his grace that leads us to forgiveness. It's his kindness that leads us to change. What is truth? 
Jesus is truth. And all we must do is believe. Amen? Let's pray.